Well, hello again. It's Coach Tim, and I have another amazing guest. In fact, he was called amazing in one of his careers. Uh, This man is so interesting. I I have to really let him explain his career path that started at the age of three in Hollywood and, uh, and continues in the independent film industry, amongst many others. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to Rex Sykes. Rex, welcome to the show. Uh, Tim, hey, thank you for having me. And, and I just want to say it's, it's an honor, a privilege to be here. You rock. I've known you uh, for a while. You do great work, and you are an inspiration and, and uh, uh, a motivation. And, and, uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, the word I'm trying to find is, is you are awesome. <laughs> you are you so much. You're, no, you're yep. truly awesome. You do you do great stuff. Everything I've known about you has been a man of, of of great work, great worth, and great integrity. And the and and what you do, I I'm a huge fan of you and what you do. Well, that's so sweet. I I that means a lot coming from you. Um, Rex, can you tell us your story? As story is important, and your story is important. So tell us how did it start. Yeah, I was just an odd kid. I at three, my parents put me into a dancing and acting class, and I decided that I wanted to, to have a life in the movies. I became a professional actor at eighteen. Uh, around five fifty-seven, uh, I was raised, you know, in a traditional Catholic family kind of thing. I decided I wanted to be a priest or a mystic or a Buddha or or something along those lines. So, uh, <laughs> along with the traditional FBI agent and detective and you know, sex icon and God and all space and time. Um, so I. Uh, I, I actually merge those. I do work in the film business and the entertainment business. I, I produce, I direct, I act whenever able to. I'm a, I'm a, uh, a person for hire in that regard. And I also uh, studied personal development, uh, transformative arts, uh, neurolinguistic programming, meditation, accelerated learning, and, and the like. And I combine those into something that I call mind design, and, uh, and which is a way to learn, have fun, and transform your life uh, easily and, and most effortlessly. Uh, uh, there are programs out there that, you know, are boot camps for, you know, you know, getting things right or put you through certain things and, and it can be painful and, and change can be hard. But uh, I find that it's, it's really actually quite easy and change can happen in instant or over time. It doesn't really matter. It's just a matter of learning how to love yourself, accept yourself and, and to go with the flow. So um, I do a lot of different things. I, I speak and talk. I write a blog, Daily Inspiration Gratitude. And uh, my job, essentially, or my mission, is to help as many people as possible in this world uh, to transform their lives and live the life that they choose to live by their design. And uh, and that's my goal and my mission, and that's the, what I do on a daily basis. It's not just words. Um, I mean, this, a lot of people talk a really good game. I mean, you, you live it. You literally if I'm not mistaken, on a daily basis, write a positivity blog, correct? I do. I, I have, uh, for almost three years, written a daily consecutive blog where I actually write articles for the readers. Prior to that, for a couple of years, I posted either articles or snippets or infographics or things like that, like on Facebook. But, uh, yeah, the, the mission is to, is to help people find out who they truly are beyond all of the excuses and reasons and blames and limitations and stuff that we grew up with. So, uh, and, and you mentioned story earlier. So it's about, you know, the stories we tell ourselves are critical as to discovering what we're able to do and, and where we're able to go and 
why we do and why we don't. Well, one of the things uh, we, we talked, I mean, you, you gave me so much time earlier this morning, and then we ran out of time, and we had to schedule for this afternoon to, to actually record, and uh, it, it was really amazing, and you shared some things with me, and I also know from other moments when I've spoken with you, uh, where you've done some really cool, in, in, your, in your background, you've been allowed to do and given the opportunity to do some really, I mean, really cool stuff. In, in, uh, you're telling me about a UCLA study earlier uh, and, and what you learned from that. Uh, you have told me how you uh, watched a, a, a famous trial at one point and, and, and read body language, I think it is, if I recall. That one I learned a long time ago. And I mean, you just had some really cool, cool, cool jobs. And what can you explain what you learned from that UCLA study and what it was? And 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 actually, it's going to tie into uh, into our our coaching lessons here today. Yeah, I don't know if the study was conducted uh, through UCLA. The the person that I was involved with at the time was a woman named Thelma Moss, who was a psychologist, a professor originally at UCLA who went into the study of parapsychology, which is the study of life after death or ghosts or paranormal experience, psychic phenomenon, and, and that kind of thing. We had, In the early 80s, we ran a study group with it. So let, let me preface that by saying that um, I have always made it my purpose and my knack to get to the top of, of great people, whether that's in the film business and uh, in the personal transformation business, whether it's been gurus and sages, whether it's been educators or philosophers. You know, I, I try and get to the top people, and I've been very successful in that, and I've, I've had uh, marvelous uh, life experiences as a result, which I share with people in, you know, in workshops and webinars and in my blog and everything else. Um, what, what had been done and what was recounted then in the 80s was a study in which uh, they took an individuals or individuals, put them in a room, hooked them up to um, biofeedback machines, which measured respiration, galvanic skin response, pulse rate, heart rate, things like that breath rate, and, um, and had them go through sleep overnight. And in another uh, facility at, at a particular randomly assigned target times, groups of three or four or five people would positively think thoughts uh, about the person who was in the room. They would be shown a photograph, and they were told to send them love. Uh, the, 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 I guess the hypothesis was, you know, could people be affected by someone's thoughts, you know, miles away? And could they record it with these machines? So uh, the conclusion of the study, as I recall from those days, <coughs> excuse me, was simply this, that during the time that the target uh, that was sleeping and that the uh, senders were sending, the biofeedback machinery registered uh, anomalously. In other words, it, it, went, it went haywire. It, it showed changes in, in physiological responses that weren't there when the senders weren't sending. They could correlate the two. 205, uh, they were sending, and 205, this person was responding. Uh, this happened uh, again and again and again, and, uh, and the conclusion, well, they would wake the person up and say, what are you, what, how was your evening? Or how was your sleep? They'd go, great. Did you dream anything? No, I don't know. Uh, do you remember anything? No, not really. Um, they were unaware of anything actually transpiring, but, but the conclusions that were drawn at that time that we discussed back in the early 80s was that somehow there was uh, communication from the senders to the recipient at a non-conscious, non-verbal, non-aware uh, level that somehow was affecting them. Now, extrapolate this and say, does this affect us? Um, 
And the answer that I have uh, inclined to believe through the years because of other studies and other research in other areas um, is that, yes, there, there is this kind of non-local, um, I, I hate the word telepathic because of the pejorative nature of the whole thing, but there is a, a form of communication that exists outside of our awareness. Um, Napoleon Hill, for example, said, you know, we are all broadcasting stations. We broadcast and we receive, and uh, we either know it or don't know it, depending on our own uh, attunement and our own awareness. And, and in fact, since the dawn of humankind, sages and mystics and philosophers and religious icons and, and other people have said the very same thing. So uh, this study at that time kind of bore out that maybe we were, in fact, able to influence other people from a great distance just by our thoughts. Um, that led me to think, you know, how are we influencing the people around us, that meaning family members? Uh, for example, the Pygmalion effect in education suggests that our expectations of our learners, our students, our, in case of coaching, our, our players, uh, our expectations of them shape how they do uh, behave, respond, and the results that they get. They did studies, for example, when they uh, would take students that were grade A students and tell the teacher that these were a bunch of dumb kids. They were all D and F students and couldn't get anywhere. They took D and F students and told them, or C students, and told them that they were A students, that they were quite brilliant. And what they found was, based on the story they told their teacher, the teacher had the students conform to her own expectations. If she thought they were dumb, they were dumb. They got poor grades. If she thought they were brilliant, they got better grades. Uh, they yeah. rose to the level of expectation. And this is this is something that's truly important. You know, you, if you're dealing with your kids, your wife, your husband, your life partner, significant other, whatever, you're, you're coaching uh, children or adults, uh, uh, co-workers, I mean, every, it, it affects everybody. What you expect of them and how you hold them in their mind, in your mind, uh, does influence them. And, uh, you know, subtly perhaps, but it still has an influence and it also shapes how you respond. So it's, our brain is a really interesting thing. We have what's called the reticular activating system as part of the amygdala. The, the RAS is actually on both, the amygdala is, the RAS is the brain stem, but the amygdala is on both sides of the hemispheres. And, and this goes back to fight or flight and, and the, the reptilian brain. We have a, a triune brain. We've got the reptile brain. We've got a midbrain. We've got the thinking cap. And the thinking cap is where most of us live day to day right now. But we're influenced by this reptilian brain. Uh, in the old days, you know, or in the jungle, you know, we respond to fight or flight or freeze. And uh, and that's, for example, think of a rabbit. They freeze when they're scared, but they're scared. Uh, others run away when they're scared, like a deer might run away when they're scared. Or a bear might raise up to fight when it's frightened. So we have that inside of us as well. And it's triggered by, in the old days, by danger. Now, what we interpret as danger today usually is an emotional threat. It's the idea of, well, I couldn't go talk in front of a group of people that scares the crap out of me. Or, oh, my God, my boss is coming in to give me an evaluation. And we get nervous and we get anxious about tomorrow or we, we get sad about yesterday or whatever. And we have a fight or flight or freeze response. And um, it's mitigated to some extent by our circumstances, but we still physiologically respond in that way. The reticular activating system looks for danger in our environment. That's what it does. It scans. We have a, a homeostasis system that's trying to keep us comfortable. It's trying to maintain us uh, as we are and keep us alive. So just like the thermostat in your living room or in your house somewhere, uh, if you set the temperature at 70 degrees, if it gets too hot, 
it, it shuts off and, and it waits yeah. until it goes back down. If it gets too cold, it gets warm. Um, that's what this, this system does for us. It looks for danger. It scans for danger to make sure that uh, there aren't any potential grounds that would kill us. Nothing's going to eat us. And then it looks for those matches. Now, here's the interesting thing about the reticular activating system and, and our brain in general. Uh, we are a product, our stories. We've come back to stories. The stories are the stories we tell ourselves, which is what we grew up with as children, being conditioned by the people around us haphazardly or on purpose. We had parents and teachers and peers and experiences, and we grew up uh, with all sorts of whys and reasons and excuses and blames about the world, whether it's a friendly or not friendly place, whether we can or can't do things, whether we're good or not good, whether we're worthy or not worthy, whether we can make money easily or it's a hard struggle thing or when money grows on trees or whether it doesn't. All this stuff is part of the story that we tell ourselves. The science has determined that we think over 60,000 thoughts a day and that somewhere up to 95% of those thoughts or more are the same thoughts we thought the day before. So if you, if, you, if you figure how long you've lived, most of the thoughts that you think are thoughts that you thought previously. You don't think many new thoughts unless you change your programming, unless you become aware of the fact that you're creatures of habit. And truly, that's all it is. It's thought habits. Beliefs are, are thoughts that you think over and over and over again that either allow you to do something or prevent you from doing something based on how you feel about it. So our well, thoughts... Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask you... Uh... So the story that we're living is also the story. Is, is that the story we're telling ourselves? Is that the self-talk? Oh, yeah. self, so in the self-talk, we're just repeating the story. Like I'll give you an example uh, where I noticed I was self-talking, right? And uh, I've been pretty cognizant most of the time. I hope I try to sure. be of, of knowing what I'm saying to myself, <laughs> So I can call call out my BS uh, at least some of the time, and uh, so I'm, I was I was running stairs uh, this week down at the beach, and I don't run them like I used to when I was a kid and an athlete. I was so tired I couldn't think. Right, I was just about breaking through and getting fast. Now I'm just going. I just I'm happy to just be doing it. I'm not going for any records or personal bests. I just let's do this, and and so often. I end up just going into a uh, uh, like a trance or or just zoning out while I'm running, and it kind of passes the time, and so I end up telling stories, right? And I notice that I'm telling my story to justify me going so damn slow <laughs> versus uh, the old days when I'm going so you know, so much faster. And I, oh man, it was a great excuse I was building up. And I realized it in that. I'm, and I'm like, wow, do I, do I really want to buy into this bullshit or do I, <laughs> do I want to create a different narrative? But it was a choice, right? It was a, it was a moment in time mm -hmm. where I caught it and I was able to, to decide, okay, am I going with this or I'm going to come up with something better uh, either way, it's still a story, right? Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, wow. I mean, we could talk endlessly about this, but suffice to say that, yeah, I mean, it's the story, it's the self-talk, it's the things that we say to ourselves that we're both aware of and not aware of. It's the stuff that runs in the background that is, is, is obscured by everything else that we do. 
You know, it's not always that, I mean, everybody's different. I can't speak for everybody. It's not always that you hear a booming voice in your head going, you can't do this, you'll screw it up. But maybe sometimes <laughs> you do. Maybe sometimes, yeah. not you, but people do. The yeah. point is, 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 is our conditioning. Now, here's, here's something. If you, if you, here's how to think about it. If you say what you have, you will always have what you say. I'll repeat that. If you say what you have, you will always have what you say. If you say you have a problem, you will always have a problem. If you say you have money debt, you will have money debt. If you say you have happiness, you will have happiness. If you say you have uh, ill health, you will have ill health. Whatever you say you have is what you will have. So it's what we declare, it's what we affirm. See, the people don't realize, they think affirmations are, I am going to do it, I am going to do it, I am going to do it. But I'm not going to do it or I can't do it as an affirmation as well. There are negative affirmations and there are positive affirmations. And what happens is, is people have negative affirmations, negative limiting beliefs, negative thoughts, negative stories, negative programs that are conditioned, habitual, chronic, and run automatically because that's what the brain does. And it keeps it the same, going back to the thermostat, so that you don't change. And whenever you get out of your comfort zone is when you will encounter fear, you'll encounter doubt. You say, you know what, I made $100 this year, I think I'll go for 150 and then suddenly you get scared. You go, I don't know if I can do this. I, I, I don't, you know, I'm going to go for the touchdown this time. I got, you know, to the 20-yard line next time I'm going for the goal. And you go, oh, God, I don't think I can do that. Doubts creep in. It's because the brain, that amygdala, that reticular activating system is looking to keep you the same. It is, and you know what? It's your friend. Are you saying it's, even though it would benefit me? That extra fifty grand or that touchdown would benefit me, and it's actually why I'm, you know, I'm working or I'm working for a touchdown or, or doing whatever that outcome I'm, I'm, I'm looking at. It because it's uncomfortable. It's not the temperature isn't right. It's not going to. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. See, here's the thing. You think it. You, you, the guy I'm talking to right now thinks, oh, that'd be great. It'd be great to have an extra fifty grand. It'd be great to get that touchdown. It'd be great. That's your conscious mind. Your unconscious mind is kind of like the different. I, I use a very antiquated and outdated but useful analogy, and that's the computer. Your software program runs on like your Microsoft Word or whatever your data processing. If you misspell something, you misspell it. You don't, you know. Uh, and spell check, come on, correct it. But whatever you do with the with the software program, however it works, is how it works. If there's a problem with the software, you'll get a bad result. If there's a problem with the hardware, you get a, a bad result too. You know, so there's hardware and software problems. So, so in the same way, you have a conscious and an unconscious mind, and your conscious, unconscious mind is like the hardware. It's there. It runs. It runs the programming. And it doesn't care what the program is. It doesn't care if you put Microsoft Word in it or you put something else in it. It doesn't care if it's a word processing program or an accounting program. It doesn't, it doesn't evaluate. It doesn't judge. It doesn't go positive, negative, good, bad, right, wrong, or any of those things. All it does is run whatever it's learned to run. So whatever you trained it to do, it does. And it does nothing else but do that. And it does it reliably to keep you alive. It is, you are a survival it is a survival mechanism for you as a species, you know, and that's why survival is our strongest instincts. Survival and sex, the procreation, are our strongest instincts. So our brains work to keep us alive. It doesn't care if you make another 15 grand or not. It doesn't care if you make a penny or not. It doesn't know the difference between the two. So here's the thing. If you find a penny on the street, go, oh, my God, I found a penny. Oh, God, I found some money. This is all money pours into me. This is fantastic. I find money everywhere. What difference does it make? Your brain doesn't know that it's a penny. It just knows you're celebrating money. So whether it's a penny or $10 or $50 or $50,000, if you're celebrating money, you're more on track to make money 
then if you go, oh, screw it, it's just a stupid penny you bought by the, you see money on the ground all the time, a quarter a penny, you don't bother to pick it up. Your brain goes, oh, well, money doesn't mean anything to you. It doesn't have a signal value. It doesn't care. It, yeah, yeah. I mean, so here's the thing. We've, we've been conditioned and our brain looks for matches. So, for example, all the limiting beliefs, all the bad self-talk, all the negative stuff that goes on in or out of awareness. By the way, you know how you can tell when you're talking negative to yourself? Oh. Yeah, feel crappy. So you I, feel, I didn't hear you. You said you, I, you, I feel crappy? A person, a, piece, a person feels crappy. Typically when they yeah. talk badly or negatively, they feel bad. I can't do it. They feel bad. Or I've got money problems. I'll never get out of this. They feel bad. They have worry. They have depression. They have anger. They have frustration. They have whatever. They feel bad. They feel less than glorious. They feel, you know, down and out. They don't feel good. That's yeah. a huge signal. That is a huge signal that your thinking isn't right. If you're walking around and you suddenly feel bad, feel out of place, feel down, then it's a moment to stop and go, okay, what, what am I thinking that's causing this? What did I just think? What did I encounter? What did I see? What's going on? Just well, your let, me, brain... let me ask you. Let me ask you this. Um, mm-hmm. It's like you said. We we can go for four hours just on this one well, we, thing. Just, we, let yeah, me translate days. it into coaching a kid. Now, first of all, what you just said. There's there's two things that are going on, right? I mean, one as a coach, I've got to have my act together because I'm yeah. translating whatever garbage or whatever goodness I have, a lot of times I'm pouring that into the kids, so I better make it good stuff. So uh, you've given a little bit of example, but I also want to talk about, okay, let's talk about the kid. The kid, I could see, has negative self-talk, has negative, uh, uh, to, to to bring up a, an example I use sometimes on these, these podcasts, there was a kid, I, uh, I had some, some time away from um, my duties. I walked to the sideline. He's there during practice, and I'm like, hey, man, are you having a great time? Are you having fun? He goes, practice ain't supposed to be fun, coach. <laughs> you know, what did you say? Practice is, isn't supposed to be fun? It is not supposed to be fun, coach. Right, right. right. And, uh, you know, and I'm like, okay, what? where's this coming from? Is it just tough talk or, you know, or is it a belief system? So my, you know, it, it very possibly, at least in some way is, is a, is a narrative. And so how do I work to perhaps change that narrative uh, at the individual level? How do I help a kid have a, a narrative that's going to benefit him uh, to be a better but, you know, just to have a better life also, which is really the point of all this. Well, I, I think the whole thing about how you play the game in life is how you play the game on the field. And how you play the game on the field is how you play the game in life. You know, you can, you can think of them as, as interchangeable. As to as, as the, the person who said, you know, practice is supposed to be fun. Now, that's a mindset that somebody has that they probably got from somewhere. Uh, a parent, a teacher, a co-player, a television, a movie, whatever, they've come to the conclusion that practice isn't supposed to be fun. Practice is supposed to be serious. And, and maybe in some ways, in some regards, it should be serious, but it should also be fun. So yeah. consider this. As a coach, as a husband, as a parent, as a boss, as a teacher, as a human on the planet, you cannot not communicate. You are always communicating. Have you ever walked into a room, for example, and you could feel the tension? It was so tense you could, like, cut it with a knife. Something was going on, and you walked in, and, and it, you know, right? Have you ever had Absolutely. that? Absolutely. 
Or, yeah. you, or you're sitting in a room and somebody walks in and, man, everybody's head turns. Non-verbally, it's not like, oh, my God, there's so-and-so. It's just all of a sudden it's like, boom, your head goes to the entranceway because somebody came in and their presence just immediately fills the room. They didn't yep. say anything. They weren't in a... Well, see, that's <clears> that. You know, we, this goes back to the Thelma Moss uh, story I was talking about before. We cannot not communicate. So how you communicate to the person who says, you know, practice shouldn't be fun. I say give them an experience of having fun. And then reinforce it, you know, and others come out, let's play, let's talk about, let's have some fun, you know, and find out if they can have, you know, and, and help them have fun. And while they're having fun, recount the, how they're progressing as well. In other words, if you make it fun and you're having fun and they lighten up and they have fun, they have some laughs and they enjoy it. And then you go, hey, wasn't that fun? They go, yeah. And go, look what you were able to do during that time. Then you're reinforcing the fact that, hey, you, you can practice and have fun. Now, it may not be that in that one time, they get over the notion that practice isn't supposed to be fun. You know, they just, well, because uh, people can go, they can discount anything. They go, well, yeah, well, that time, because it was you, it was a special circumstance, or, you know, you caught me, but now I'm smart enough to know differently. Uh, they can come up with their reasons to try and go back to the way they were. But, you mm-hmm. know, another time when it's front, you know, in other words, if you set that climate for them and you inspire them or you, you show them other examples of people having fun, or you, you know, something, you know, you, you, you give them things to read about people who had fun or, you know, other models, then, then gradually they can come to the idea that, hey, you know what, if you have fun when you practice, you get further faster. Now, that's one of the things, and I, and I don't mean this as a plug, but that's one of the things about our workshops. We found out years ago that people would sit in workshops and seminars, and they were bored, they were tired, they were browbeaten by the educators or the workshop and everything else, and my then wife my ex-wife, but my then-wife and I said, let's create an environment where people can come and they can have fun, they can be challenged, so it's safe, but they're stretched because you still have to stretch. You can't, you, you can't make it so cozy and cozy that nothing happens. You still want them to, to grow. And so in the same way, you provide that climate for your, 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 the people who you're coaching. You know, if you make it fun and you're having fun, they're more apt to have it fun. If you're the toughest nails, you know, get down and give me 50 kind of coach, then it's not going to be that much fun. Well, and I, I think it's the frame you put around it, right? Uh, oh, I, one of the things I, we're, we're, I shared with you earlier, one of the things I learned about uh, Pete Carroll way back in the day uh, was that he scored practice. Every drill and whatnot was, had a score, and, and I, I guess the way it worked was at the end of practice, uh, somebody had tallied it up, and there was a scoreboard that they would look at inside of the uh, inside the locker room or wherever and it created a, a sense of uh of competitiveness and urgency uh on on the practice field at at, at a very very high level of, of college football and so i'm like okay that's great but how do i score a practice when i you know i have two coaches maybe three coaches and and maybe a couple more maybe you know <laughs> and uh, sometimes it's just me and because uh, it was youth and uh, so, in fact, the same kid, uh, one night, I'm kind of asking myself these questions, and it's the same kid, and, and he's, I mean, he's just underachieving. I mean, it's part of his kind of MO for a long time. And we're running wind sprints after practice. And so I thought, oh, I got an idea. So I grabbed him. And I grabbed another kid that I knew he would not like to be challenged uh, by and, and lose. 
the mm-hmm. race, and I made them race first before the rest of the team went. And so they went, and he took off like a, a, a bat out of hell for the first time in my experience with him. Uh-huh. And, and then the rest of the team runs, and on the next one, they're begging me to be put out front. And it was a tradition we kept for, I think, two or three years. And yeah. um, it was one of the, the best things I ever did. Let me ask you this. You have a... Um, Congratulations, this, by the way. I mean, that, that's, that's when you find something like that that works, use it. You know, I mean, that, that's, that's... Oh, my awesome. Lord. It was, it, you know, one of the... It's one of those things where I'll always, you know, kind of pat my back going, well yeah. done. You, did, yeah, you didn't do it always great, but that one was pretty damn good, Tim. Um, so... Well, if, before you ask your question, that's a very important thing for everyone, you know, and especially for your players, is to pat yourself on the back. Even if you did crappy, Pat yourself on the back because at least you were in the game. At least you were at practice. Give yourself credit for doing something that moves you forward in the right direction. The problem that most people have is that they browbeat themselves for not doing what they think they should. And you and I had this conversation. I said, you know, days, there are better days than there are bad days. There are far more good things happening in the world than there are bad things happening. We do a lot of really incredible things, but because we're taught to be humble and not be conceited and not do that... We don't acknowledge ourselves. We don't go, wow, you know what? I really did a good job here. Uh, that's really cool. I encourage people to keep a journal of their wins. I made my bed today and pat yourself on the bed. I did the dishes today. I, I finished that job at the office today. I, you know what? I got out and I polished the mirror on my car today. Whatever it is, and if you've got a goal like I want to make an extra $100 this week, then whatever you do incrementally, inch by inch, step by step, that gets you closer to that $100, Give yourself a big pat on the back because it's, the, it's that nudging, it's that encouragement, it's, that, it's the praise, it's the validation that we rarely get. Uh, and then the other thing is, is to teach your people to record, to, to support each other in recognition, to validate and to edify each other. Some people get really jealous that somebody else did well and that they didn't. You should celebrate their wins. I teach people this in Hollywood all the time. Actors get will have a better career faster and sooner than others if they're supportive of the people around them instead of jealous and envious of the people around them. Because when you're, you know, your thoughts are breeding contempt, you're not, you're not having fun. You're not in the game, and other people read that off of you, uh, you know, like a beacon in the night. It, it just comes through. So validation, well, I, recognition, I, I, encouragement. I think within the the uh, context of a football team. Or, or any sports team, uh, I think particularly football, it's, it's really where it should be is where you're edifying each other, not just as coaches, but within the team that it, it starts with the leadership within the team, right. which usually a handful of guys, and then it spreads like a, a good meme. And, and pretty soon everybody should be coaching each other, raising each other up. Uh, you know, one of the things that, I was uh, tickled to learn the other day I interviewed uh, Jim Mora over at UCLA, and he used a, a phrase that uh, I'm not sure I've ever heard before, but he says, you know what? We celebrate our players' wins. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those those lines where I'm like, oh, man, i got to mm-hmm. write this down. i got to remember this. That's, yeah. that's, and he goes, even when, say, a kid decides he doesn't want to play anymore, and he's going to do something else. 
I'm going to celebrate that win. That's a decision he made that's for his best Amen. self. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, that rocks, right? And, and that's what you're talking about. Oh, absolutely. We win more than we lose. That's what people just fail to see. It goes back to the reticular activating system. It goes back to your brain. Your brain is looking for problems, so you're not seeing the opportunities. You're not seeing the good things. You're not seeing the wins because your brain is scanning for problems. Now, you can train your brain to see opportunity. This is why, you know, if, if, if you go, why am I so stupid? If you ask a question like, why I'm stupid, you'll come up with 50 different reasons why. You'll say, well, you know, your parents didn't get, put you in the right school. You stuck your head in a toaster when you were four years old. <laughs> you know, your teacher said you were stupid. You know, blah, 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 blah. You'll have 50 reasons why you're stupid. If you say, why am I such a talented, incredible person, I'll bet you this. It'll be harder to find the answers to. And you know why? Because you just haven't done it routinely. If you did that as much as you said, why am I stupid? This goes back to the story. People say 60,000 thoughts and 95% of them are the same today as they were yesterday. They say, why am I stupid? Why am I stupid? Why am I stupid? They've done that for 40, 50, 60, 80, 90 years. They start saying, why am I so talented? And how come I'm so lucky? And in how many different ways am I an incredible person? It takes a little while to grease that wheel or to prime that pump, but guess what? Pretty soon your brain will be going, you know why you're an incredible person? Because when you were four, you did this, and when you were eight, your mom did that. When you were seven, you did this, and when you were 18, you did this. And it'll find all those reasons that will go for those matches. And the cool part about it is is you train your brain to go for the cool stuff, the positive stuff, the productive stuff, or what I call the supportive stuff versus the non-supportive, the negative, the, the stuff, the old habitual chronic bad programming that people have that they buy and that they live from and that they allow them to, to less, live less and glorious lives. And they change that program. And it's what you said before. You said, uh, you know, I walked along and I thought this thought and, you know, I could change it. I could shift it. When you become aware that you're thinking a negative thought, you stop. You take a breath and you go, what is it that I really want to believe instead? What do I want to think instead? It's a decision. It's a win. Just like Coach Moore was saying, if you make a decision that I don't want to think I'm stupid, I want to think I'm smart, and you go, I am smart, I am smart, you're not going to feel like it right at first probably because you've got years of old conditioning. But the more you do it, you know, a lie spoken enough times soon gets substituted for the truth. And the more you do it, this is what cadence is all about in the military. They ch- and in sports, they chant, they yell, they sing songs, you know, they, they have a spree de corps. Everything is done with a lot of emotion and expression. And they go, oh, you know, this is my weapon, or this is my gun. And they, they don't just go, Right. And so this is this is how we change our, our thinking. You know, you get your team out there and, and you know, you we're a team, yeah, you know, and you got that all. Well, I'm the smartest. I'm the best. I can do things. I win. I celebrate my wins each and every day. And that's whether you make a bet or you choose not to play football anymore. That is a win. When you make a congruent decision to do something in your life, celebrate it. You decided. A lot of people just sit on the fence forever. If you decide, you decide. If you want to change your decision later, change your decision later. But for now, you've decided to do this. Celebrate it. And, and most people don't. They just don't go through life celebrating all the cool stuff about them and about the people around them and about life in general. I mean, if you look well, around and, the world... And, and a lot of us, uh, unfortunately, the, the kids that, uh, you know, that I've come across, there's a lot of kids from good families, but a lot of kids from broken families, well-intentioned parents, but they're not getting just simply because there's not enough time not getting those affirmations. They're not getting those positive 
you know, rubs from a, a mom that you're supposed to get from a mom because she's working two jobs or whatever, you know. And, and so <clears throat> what you're saying as, a, as, a, as coaches, we can present and, and help to program that into, into our, our, our players' thinking that will benefit them for the rest of their lives. The other thing, though, is, is that they will learn how to reprogram that they're always looking for that more positive side of, 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 of the context. Because you can always, as you said earlier, you can always find the negative side. There's always something crappy. There's always something good. It's choose your, you know, your, your, your better choice. Um, so this is, so what you're saying is, is we can all change it. It's just the choice. It all boils down our- to this. Yeah, yeah here, and here's how I feel. And then I want to address something that I do think is important that, that, that we just touched on. Um, but first off, you're not responsible for the conditioning of your upbringing. You know, you were born into whatever family in whatever part of the country or world that you're in. The circumstances were such from the zero to seven, they say most of our brain, you know, is developed at the beliefs and the values that we have are, 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 are literally programmed into us by what we see here in and feel around us. We don't even know this is going on. You know, it's, it's an unconscious process. And, and, then, and then around the age of seven or eight, we start living from those things. They, that is our conditioning. And, and then we reaffirm it in many different ways. You know, we're either validating it or invalidating it in one way or another. Um, anything is possible. It goes back to the idea that, and I use a bad metaphor, but you can kick a dog and it could yelp and do nothing, or you can kick a dog and turn around and bite you. You don't know what's going to happen with with a living creature, you know, you kick a rock, you can figure it's going to go somewhere, but with a living creature, it can do any number of things. It can surprise you. So the person born in the worst circumstances under the absolutely most horrendous conditions can surprise you and can surpass people who are born in cushy, wonderful lifestyles. So, so because they have adversity in their life, but they've decided to handle it in a different way, but we're not responsible for a conditioning as an adult or as somebody who's, and I would say an adult, um, you're 100% responsible for what you do about the conditioning that you got when you were a kid. If you don't like it, you don't have to wallow in it. You don't have to live as a survivor or in regret or in depression all of your life. You can change it. You can absolutely change it. The question is, is whether you believe you can or not. And as Henry Ford said, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, you are correct. Right. Because yeah. it really does, it does come down to your thinking about it. And, and what you think about it, guess what? It's part of that conditioning. So it may take a while for you as a coach or a teacher or a loved one to inspire somebody, especially if they've been brought up in less really, really horrific conditions. You know, people who are brought up in, in, in poverty situations or you know, neighborhoods with lots of crime, and they come into camps and into coaching situations, they may be very reluctant to trust anybody or to have a good time or, or any of other things. Or they might go, oh, my God, this is so incredible. I can't believe I'm out of the neighborhood. And I get to have fun for the first time. I mean, anything is possible, but I'm, what I'm getting at, so it doesn't all sound candy and sugar-coated, is given the right time. There's a saying, you know, no outcome is too crazy. It, it's not unrealistic. It's just the time frame in which you expect something to happen. If you expect it to happen overnight, uh, you may have, you know, be disappointed. If you expect that within time, given the right approach and the continued effort uh, that you'll have changed, then, uh, of course, you will. You, you know the story of the Chinese bamboo, don't you? Oh, uh, no, I don't think so. Well, the Chinese bamboo is a plant that for you plant it, 
And for five years, it grows underground. You never see anything. It just grows. You water it, you take care of it, it grows, and it grows a root system. And then when it finally breaks through, it grows 90 feet in about 48 hours. Oh, my Lord. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it just goes, it goes, shoots way up in, in, in a very short period of time. But all that time, it's been growing. Now, you couldn't see it growing. You had to have faith it was growing. If you dug it up to check if it was growing, it would have killed the plant. You know, so those people who, who take care of Chinese bamboo understand that this is the process. You, you water it, you make sure it gets the nutrients, and you wait. And you wait patiently until that day that it sprouts. And then when it sprouts, it, it grows. And it grows rapidly and it transforms from that. That's, and guess what? The roots have been growing all that time underground. It didn't just start growing the day that it broke through. It's been growing for five years, seven years, whatever it takes. You know, an oak tree has all of the potential. It's incredibly big, mighty, huge oak tree contained in that seed. All that energy is there. It's always there. You just can't see it. And then when the climate is right and it falls in the right soil, guess what? It, 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 it cracks open and it becomes a sprout and it grows to the, you know, 60 foot oak tree. Uh, and the same thing is true about people. The potential inside of people is so incredible. The only thing limiting them is the conditioning that they're brought up in. It's what they buy into. It's the advertising. You know, your breath is bad. You stink. You need deodorant. You got dandruff. You're not enough. She won't like you if you do this. He won't like you if you do that. If you don't have this money, that car, this kind of thing, you're a loser. That's what we're programmed because it's a way of parting us with our dollars so that we spend on products that we don't need in order to feel fulfilled. But we can feel fulfilled if that's what we want to do. And it starts with a decision. And that decision, when you make it, is an incredible win. So Coach Moore is absolutely right. And if you celebrate each and every little win you have throughout the day, you, you start to find out and you journal it, you know, write it down. Keep, you know, and then you look back at the end of a week and you go, my gosh, I've had five wins or I've had 50 wins or I've had 500 wins. It's just up to what kind of track keeping, record keeping you want to make. But, but find out that you are, in fact, a winner. You're much more with all these people who are like think about the, all the kids in the worst neighborhoods ever that I, I thought about this the other day a lot of, uh, in Milwaukee Wisconsin is five three two zero six it's the worst zip code in the entire nation more people live and die there are, are incarcerated there it's not the one that has the highest death rate you know I mean Chicago has lots of people getting shot yeah. every day it's very sad but it's it's one that is known to be the absolute worst neighborhood in the entire country. Right. Yeah. And I was thinking about that the other day. I was thinking, you know, my God, and I have somebody who I love very much living in that neighborhood. And I thought, oh, my God, you know, people get killed there all the time. Um, a movie recently came to town, shot the movie in five through about five, three or six. And three of the people since they wrapped last October have been killed. Um, oh, no. That, it, yeah, I know. It's a tragic thing. Right. And I thought about that. I thought, oh, my God, you know, I hope the person that I love who's in this neighborhood will be safe. And, and doesn't get harmed or killed or die. Then I thought, wait a second, you know what? More people are alive in that neighborhood than die. <laughs> yes. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, every day more people survive it than than leave it. You know, in in, in a body bag. So, you know, it's 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 how we skew our own mind to think about things. Oh, you I know, mean, just I mean, in, in, uh, something that's become normal for us to hear is, as an example, is the word terrorist. And yeah, you know, there was a terrorist attack, and I mean, it's tragic, it's horrible, it's it's all this. But I think there was one recently in Northern California, and three people died. And but it's a terrorist attack, and that means like Fresno is on alert and on fire, and 
you know, <laughs> the whole city's getting blown. No, three people died. Uh, horrible, tragic. But that means out of how many million living there, all of them are okay. <laughs> you know, right. but I, I mean, this is where we lose sight of things, and that's uh, that's what the news's job is to do. I mean, especially. You know, I mean, you know, Oprah tried it. Uh, I, I mean, I forget the number of people who tried it. They tried to have positive, happy talk shows, you know, where here's what's going on in the world that's good. I mean, even the nightly news has their, you know, 10-second, uh, oh, here's the bunny rabbit that made it, you know, out of you know, today. But the rest is all horrible news, bad news, terrible stuff. You know, the economy's going down. Will you survive? What's new? What's the bad, you know, what's the bad news? What's the new study on coffee? What is the next thing that's going to cause you cancer? I mean, this is what people get up in the morning they go to work on the subway and the trains and the car radios. They get to work. They talk about it at the water cooler. They have it at noon. They come home and watch it at 5 o'clock. They watch it before they go to bed. They get on Facebook. And what is their feed day? Every bad thing that's happened throughout the day. you know. And then they say, well, and then there's fake news. I mean, the point is we are inundated with crap about how horrible everything is. And if you buy that, you, you know, and that's probably why some people snap and crack and do the terrible things that they do. But you're right. Three people got killed. That's a horrible, tragic, terrible thing. But millions lived. And so, but we don't, we don't do that. And, and the other thing is if somebody breaks into someone's house and holds them hostage for an hour and then lets them go or rapes them or kills them, that's an act of terror. It's not just political terror. You know, right. but it's an act of terror. I mean, we're terrorized. People are terrorized all the time. It's just become convenient you know, to, to bandy this word around about terror when it's, when it serves, you know, political things. Uh, right. I won't go there. Any, I won't go there any further, but, um, uh, well, I, here, here's something that I, I'd, I'd like to, uh, to turn it back to, yes. to the kids. Okay. And, and from high school and, and, and in, in, uh, in youth from kindergarten all the way up to eighth grade, you got kids and they're all dealing with, with things and communication like we never grew up with. I mean, they have phones, oh, God, yeah. in my view, way too early. They're communicating, texting, finding out about stuff that, uh, you know, as parents we would have liked to have informed them of first, uh, all kinds of stuff like that. And there's pressures that we uh, we never had as kids, but what – so they're experiencing a lot of this negativity that you're talking about that we're getting on a subway to work that we have a choice to turn off if we want to. Uh, but they're hearing negativity through the, being through their phones and, and communication with other kids. And they're here and all the other pressures of growing up in, in as a kid today. And so, uh, it's important, again, as a coach, in my view, is to have our act together, understand this stuff that, that Rex is talking about, so that we can help build these kids up. Because as Pete Carroll said in a clinic I was in a long time ago, uh, when they get kids coming into, uh, and this was at USC, when they get kids coming into USC or anywhere else in, in Division One football, a good amount of them are coming from single families. Uh, an overabundance of, of kids are coming from single matriarchal families. And uh, they are, in fact, father figures. Whether, and as to quote him, whether you like it or not, that's what you are. 
So I'm not saying it's like that at high school, and depending on where you're at, you know, at what high school, and depending uh, where you're at and what youth league, but but you still get pieces of that no matter what. I did um, in various ways, and so I've got to have my act together. I got to run, get my reticular activating system on the right temperature, but I also got to learn how to do that within the kids that I'm coaching. And I think, you know, what you were talking about with, with those questions and, and, and asking kids in positive ways that will help them be influenced and move them forward to, uh, to pick out their wins, to, to embrace their wins and to actually celebrate them and to celebrate with them. Um, but I'd like to, to, uh, to segue if I will into something that I'm not sure I even completely understand. Uh, I have kind of a intuition, a hunch, uh, a, a vague uh, idea of what it means. But when I met you for the first time, uh, and the only time in, in person, you gave an amazing talk that was mesmerizing. And in fact, Thank you. It, it, it well, a lot of people go me- think mesmerizing in the sense that it was interesting. Uh, yeah, it was interesting, but it really was mesmerizing, as in hypnotizing, as in the guy Mesmer, who the words from, who was like one of the first hypnotists in like the 1800s or something, is where the word comes mm-hmm. from. Um, I was told by Jonathan Altfeld, who was another one of our podcasts earlier uh, last year, who he says, you know. Rex was talking on seven different levels of communication. And I was like, oh, wow, that's impressive. I don't, you know, and, and the, I couldn't ask him, well, what the hell does that mean? <laughs> I, and I kind of had an idea. And, and probably if you try to explain it, it would be way beyond the uh, scope of this conversation. But I know that there's various ways to communicate and um, probably what I'm, I'm really looking for is to explain congruency, congruity, is that the right way to say it? Uh, with congruity, mm-hmm. congruity with, with uh, your coaching uh, and, and, and with the, the speaking and communicating with the kids. Um, how, how can you, do you know where I'm at? Sure. I don't know if I'm saying a good well, question. Well, let me let me try and answer it this way. When it comes to communicating with anyone, if um, you know, if you ask a seven-year-old child, "Did you take the cookies?" and the kid took the cookies, they'll go, uh, "No, I didn't do it." To, you know, and they come up with some reason. You go, "I can see guilt all over them." You know, I mean, I can tell that they took the cookies. And the same thing is true if you know a husband or wife or a significant other goes, "You know, you cheating on me?" You know, there's something that's off. It's just not. Um, it's just something that's not right. When you're congruent, it's because you believe in what you're doing and saying. Your actions, your your physicality, your words, your tone, everything about you is in alignment. You are. It's like when you act from integrity. You see somebody who goes, "My word is law," and you know that they say what they mean, and there's it's unequivocal. There's no doubt that they are a hundred and ten percent committed to that position. And so that's what congruence is. You know, you say, I'm a loving person. If you're truly loving and you believe it and that you will be congruently conveying that. If you uh, secretly harbor ill will toward the people and you say, well, I'm loving, then it, it, it starts to eat out of you. 
in different ways. Now, not everybody necessarily recognizes it. They just have a sense of what's off. It's like that room where you can cut the tension or the person comes in and they're charismatic. People, people we, 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 we operate at different levels. We operate at the level of, of, of words, meaning descriptors, like yellow is a descriptor for a color, you know, that is part of the spectrum of light. You know, and we operate at the sound level of the tone. So I don't like that tone. You don't, you know, you don't say, I love you. You know, that kind of stuff where the tone is wrong and the volume is wrong. It's not congruent with the words that are being spoken. So, you know, if you're saying I love you and I do love you and I truly do love you, you, you look and convey and speak in a certain way. And then there's a level of meaning. I can say love and to you, you mean, yeah, I know what love means. Here's the problem that a lot of people get into. I, and I talk about this. I might have talked about it in the workshop. You know, people go on a vacation and they never think to ask, you know, why do you want to go on this vacation with me? What What's important to you about this vacation? So the husband says, well, I want to go to Jamaica. And the wife says, oh, Jamaica would be great. I want to go to Jamaica too. And so they go to Jamaica. And when they get there, they fight the whole time. Now, had they stopped before they got there? Now, this isn't true about everybody, but if they'd stopped before they got there, so what's important to you about going to Jamaica? The one person may say, you know, I just want to get away from work. I want to go somewhere I can chill. I can relax. I can get high, you know, I can have a, 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 a alcoholic beverage, I can just lie on the beach, whatever it might be, I just want to get away from everything and just hang and, and feast and, and enjoy it. And the other person says, man, I want to go out, I want to party, I want to live it up, I want to go out, I want to have fun, I want to dance, I want to sing, I want to see the sights, I want to go all over the island, I want to do it like that. And then they get there and they're arguing over how they fulfill that. You know, I thought uh-huh. you came here to have fun, I thought you came here to relax. As opposed to saying, okay, well, let's do this. Let's, when we get there, let's take a little while and relax, and then I'll have enough energy to go out and see the sights with you. you know? And so you negotiate uh, how you have your vacation instead of pushing the expectations on each other. Um, now, this is off the topic of congruence, but the point being is that we have meaning, and we make sense of words and behaviors, and we attribute things to people. <coughs> that look means you like me, or that look means you're mad at me, or that look means you're suspicious. I mean, we read people's nonverbals, and and then we say, uh, you know, uh, smiling means liking. So if somebody smiles at you, it means that they like you, or smiling means you're hiding something, depending on what's going on. Uh, so we are meaning makers. You know, Krasinski and, and uh, Chomsky and all these, we are meaning makers and time binders. We are, we are, uh, we are egocentric and chronocentric. We are you know, we, we, you know, it's, it's all our personal maps. It's our beliefs, it's our values, it's our rule systems. And, and, and so when it comes to coaching kids and being congruent, if you go, it goes back to the topic of having fun. If you're having fun, if you love kids and you love coaching and you love the game and that comes through and it oozes out of every pore of you and you make the situation such that they can enjoy it and the one who's not enjoying it, you invite them to come in and you show them how to have fun and you allow them to play and you allow them to win and you help them count their wins and they feel good and they feel validated and other people edify them and go, wow, little Johnny, we didn't think you had it in you, but man, you rock, you rock. And you hoist them up on your shoulders and you make them feel good. You bring them along together as a team. You, you know, it's all for one, one for all. You make them all feel part of something bigger than them and that they each contribute in meaningful ways. If they don't feel like they're contributing, if they feel like they're riding or they feel like they're slacking or they're holding something back, that's not a cool feeling. So it's, it's how do you get them all, you know, paddling their oars in the same direction, heading toward, you know, or paddling in the same direction, heading in the same, all in the same way. Um, 
but you bring them along together. Now that's, that's like anything. That's like being an orchestra conductor. You know, you've got a symphony and you've got to bring in the flutes and you've got to bring in the, the percussion and you've got to bring in the horns and you've got to bring in the strings, and, you know, but you do it as a conductor. The same way a movie director directs a movie and, and adds, especially in the editing process where they put the visuals and the music and the sound and the scores and the dialogue and the words and the special effects and everything all together to create, you know, uh, uh, something that is moving for people. The bottom line is, is if you're not having fun, it ain't worth it. Why are you playing the game if it's not fun? I mean, if it's monetary, if it's professional, if it's, you know, you've got something to prove, okay. But it's just like life, you know. I mean, life uh, it's not, it should be fun. Life should be a wonderful, wonderful thing. I think the game should be too. I think uh, especially with kids, you know, kids, you know, right now the high schools have epidemics of heroin and, and uh, Percocets and things like that all around the country. I mean, I, I go back and forth between California and the Midwest, and here in the Midwest, the school districts are plagued with heroin addicts. You, you got to, you know, I, I mean, I did You're my share Huh? I said, that's unbelievable. I mean, it's that still boggles my mind that we're dealing with that at high school levels across the country it's just well here it's amazing and here's what i'll tell you i you know i did my share of drugs when i was a kid i did pot and uh, hallucinogenics and all sorts of stuff and and but i was always a meditator too and when i really got into medicate meditation um I, I really turned back into it when i was around 2025 uh, i decided i didn't need any drugs i didn't need pot i didn't need i didn't need any stuff if i could do far more impressive things in my own being lying on the floor sitting in a chair that I could with any hallucinogenic or any uh, mind-altering drug. So those days went, they went away for me. The reason why was because I was fulfilled. I learned that inside myself were the resources to journey in any which way I wanted and to do anything I wanted to do. I mean, have I had rough times? And then sure. Have I had good times? And then sure. Have there been, you know, uh, you know, life is a roller coaster. But the point being is I, I, I don't need that stuff. And I, and I don't say that like other people need it. I have a feeling that if you're fulfilled and if you know yourself and you know your resources and you know what you can do, you don't really need it. If it's, if it's something that you do, because I have friends who do recreational pot and things like that, because they think they like it better or they, they have fun when they do it, that's fine. I don't, I don't judge them. I don't. I don't, I don't want it. Well, but, but this is, this is kind of off. This is kind of off the, the coaching thing. <laughs> Uh, way up, way up. But, but you, you I, I do. I, I would like to point out, since you're on this topic, and it probably fits within what you were just saying, is within the field of hypnosis, aren't really good hypnotists able to mimic drug-like states in people? No. Yes. I mean, we 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 can because there's certain sequences of effects that drug have that if you run those sequences either by yourself or with a hypnotist, you could, you can recreate that experience as long as you know, you know, what the progression is. And, and that's by having some presence of mind to recount, recount it. But, but to go back to what, how this all is relevant is the fact that my point about the drugs is, you know, in the schools or about me and meditation is, is and it goes back to the coaching is when people feel fulfilled, when they feel useful, when they feel connected, when they feel a part of something, when they have a, a purpose, when they have fun, when they enjoy life, they don't need the distractions. And the distractions tend to drop away. 
They're not going to be on Facebook as much necessarily because they're too busy living their life. They're not going to need the heroin because they're too busy having a good time with their friends doing other stuff. I'm not saying that people won't encounter problems or some people won't get addicted or that they don't go to a party and they try something and that, you know, it's bad. I'm just saying that as a general rule and not as a candy coated sugar kind of platitude thing, but when you're, when you're, when you are fulfilled, you don't really need all the stuff that everybody else uses to try and be fulfilled. Some of that's drugs. Sometimes that's money. Sometimes that's things. I got a new car. You know, I'm a 60-year-old man, I, and I'm having a midlife crisis, so I need that, you know, trophy blonde and the, and the red Corvette. I right. mean, and for all those guys who have that, I'm not trying to disparage you. Um, but you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> you right. know what I mean? Or it's a house, or, you know, or it's something. I mean, it's, it's always something, and we use things, and we use chemicals, and we use reasons and excuses and blames is it, it, and it goes back to decisions and back to wins. If you're counting your wins on a daily basis, no matter how old you are, if as a coach you're helping your kids count their wins and they feel like winners even if they lose the game, they shouldn't feel like losers if they lose the game. They should feel like winners who played the best, who just got outplayed that game. You know, one of well, the things and, that, and 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 it's that old question that I think, you know, one of the things that, that, that I came to realization of halfway through my, my first run of, of coaching was, you know, I gave up on a lot of the old words cause they felt too syrupy, you uh-huh. know, uh, it, it, they just, they didn't sound cool or they sounded old. And one of the things that is an old line that goes way back is, did you leave it all on the field? Mm-hmm. And if you left it all on the field, if you gave your best effort, another way of putting it, then you won. I mean, yeah, you yeah. your best, you won. I mean, and, and you know better than anybody if you gave one. So, and, 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 to me, that's a win, you know, and, and if I, I can get a, uh, you know, I, I have a buddy who, who coached at, at SC during that run with Carol, and, and it was my first week of practice, and I asked him, he's the one that got me to coaching, in fact, and I, I coached his, uh, his, uh, his older kid, and uh, he, I said, so give me some advice, you know, and they just got off winning the national championship, okay? Well, I mean, the, the, the pinnacle of, of college football. And he said, make sure they have fun, give a full effort, teach to give a full effort. And, uh, uh, I can't remember the, have a good attitude. I don't know. Good attitude or something like that. I can't remember the third one, but I'm like, okay, well, good third what else? <laughs> I'm like, what else? Where, where's the secret sauce? You just, that was, that was what he told me. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, that's, that's essentially it. You know, your mindset is everything. You know, the saying that the Vince Lombardi thing, when the tough, get, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. Yeah. That's yeah. absolutely part of playing. That's, that's it. Go beyond what you're capable of thinking of going, go beyond what you think you're capable of doing. Leave your best on the field, do your best, play your best, play your hardest, do all that and still realize it's a game and you're having fun. And if you lose the game, the world doesn't end, you know, but do your best. And sometimes you're going to have to really fight and, and scrap and, and pull from your insides to get something done because you don't think that it's possible, but, but you do it anyway. You know, you act in spite of your fear. You act in spite of how hard it is. You give a hundred percent and you go on 
you know, and you, and you prevail, you don't give up, you just do, you know, all of that can be instilled in people because it's part of what you have to do in life anyway, you know, and, and, but again, it's how do you play the game of life? If you look at life as a game, then, you know, you can be out to win or you can go, I'm out to play and have as much fun as I possibly can. What is winning? You know, what the heck is winning? Right. Uh, the game of life. I mean, you get to the end and you die with a million dollars, then you won. What, I mean, what, what, how do you win at the game of life? So here's, here's one thing that you can do as a coach. You get a new kid who's not played much and you throw the ball around, you get all done and you say, how'd you do it? And they go, I suck at this. Right. Well, here's the thing. How the heck do they know what they suck at? They've right. never really done it before. They're making an evaluation based on, on not ever having really played the game. You know, I can't do it. I'm no good. I, I, well, who died and left you God? I mean, in other words, you don't know what you can or can't do because you haven't even done it yet. You know, as you practice and improve, you know, you will get more experience. You, it, it's, it, it's like you can make more distinctions about whether you're on your game or off your game the more you play your game. But you certainly can't do it when you're a raw beginner. And, and uh, so many people try and they give up after two or three times because they go, I suck, I'm no good, it's frustrating. Well, of course it's frustrating. You've never done it before. <laughs> you know, give yourself yeah. a break. You know, take a chance, do something again. That's that comfort zone again. That's like, you know what, if it's too hard, it's out of the comfort zone, the brain goes, okay, come back. You know, I am good, the reasons come up, I feel bad. Again, that's why mindset is important. That's why attitude is important. That's why what you just said, you know, play your best, you know, have fun. And good attitude are the things that make a difference for you as a player, as a coach, coaching the players, and as a, a person living the, the, the game of life. You know, well, you know, mindset is everything. Absolutely, and, and we—I think I shared with this uh, with you earlier today. Uh, a good perspective for me is to think about kids. High school, you know, it takes—it's a little bit more of a of a of a rebound but with kids uh you know fifth graders sixth graders etc they play the game and they they go all out they do what they're supposed to do and and unfortunately they there's a loss right they they lost the game and some of the kids might even cry but amazingly by the time they're in the car on the way home with mom and dad <laughs> They're already, you know, figuring out what's next. What else do I right. do? You know, there, and that's not a bad metaphor for us big kids. Absolutely. I mean, that, that it's, it's, you know, it, let's say you, you say, I want to make a million dollars, you make a million dollars, and then what? You, you should go, okay, next, you need to have another challenge, another something that you do. Let's say you go out to make a million dollars and you don't make a million dollars and you and you drop short of that. What do you do? You go, well, next. I mean, in other words, get on with life. Keep moving. Don't, don't, don't let, you know, uh, what I love about Napoleon Hill is he said, you know, in every, first off, you know, when it comes to failure, there's no such thing as failure unless you quit. If you're running a race, if you stop before you get to the finish line, and you quit, you throw the towel, okay, then you failed. You didn't cross the finish line. You didn't do what you set out to do. But as long as you keep going, there is no failure. If you cross the finish line, you, you did it. Now, in light of every obstacle, every problem, every challenge, it's a seed of opportunity. It's the equivalent seed of opportunity. So when you go to do things, and this is why training kids in the games that you do and coaching them, 
I think what you do with the with the awesome responsibility that you have is coaching kids for being prepared to handle the other challenges that life will bring them, whether it's in school, whether it's puberty, teenage years, growing up, being responsible adults, you know, living a good life, that kind of thing. You know, because there are times when it's tough and they do need to know how to get through tough times when it's tough, you know, with a resilient mental attitude. Uh, Muhammad Ali said, you know, I did all the hard stuff now because I wanted to be a champion. So there were times I didn't want to go out and train. I hated it. I hated every moment of going and train, but I did it because I knew I would live as a champion later if I did the tough stuff now. So, and, and uh, believe me, there, you know, and I, you know this, there are Olympic athletes who they, the last thing they want to do is go train in the morning, but they do it because they condition themselves to do it. It's a habit. They get up and do it in spite of their mood or in spite of how they feel. A lot of people who aren't Olympic athletes, I have a friend right now who's paralyzed, quadriplegic, who said, I will walk and I will run and I will I will do it again. He's a two-time Olympic champion, and he's now up and moving, and he's walking because of his conviction and his faith, because he knows how to use his mind. And uh, and they didn't hold out a whole lot of hope that he would ever be able to do any of this. His name is Jamie Nietro. He was a high jumper. He was the oldest high jumper in the, in the last uh, year's Olympics. But... Um, uh, a tremendous man, a good friend, and a, and a, and, a, and a should, should be a role model to all. Um, I have another friend, a guy named Obama, who same thing came back from the war. He was paralyzed. He learned how to walk and move all over again. You wouldn't ever know that he had this problem. Um, so life will throw you curveballs. You know, don't make any mistake of it. So we need to know how to handle the rough times and the tough times, and not call it quits and not consider it defeat. But to realize that, you know, it's a challenge and it's an obstacle. And I love a, a biblical metaphor I'm going to share with you, whether you, people like the Bible or not. David and Goliath, the big giant little guy, right? So Goliath yep. is out there. It says that David rushed the giant. He literally rushed the giant. They go, oh, you send me this kid. And David says, God will declare a victory today. It's not me, but God that does this. And I don't care whether you believe in God. That's not the point. But he rushed the giant. He rushed the problem. He, he headed into the problem. He didn't avoid it. He didn't run. He took his little sling. He slapped the rock. Goliath comes crashing down. It's either a story or it's a metaphor, and I look at it as a metaphor for our challenges. When you don't, Daniel, in the lion's den, turned and faced away from the lions. He turned his back on his problems and faced God outside the cell. Another biblical story. Again, another great metaphor. If you don't let your problems overcome you, if you don't succumb to fear, if you don't think that they're big, you should always be bigger than your problems to be able to turn your back on them and live life in spite of them and have the courage and the guts and the intestinal fortitude to go through them. And that doesn't take away from having a fun life and enjoying the game because that's part of the game. Sometimes you have to play full out. And so kids can be conditioned to play full out. But winning the game or losing the game, you know, as a, as a fifth grader, the worst thing in life isn't losing a football game or the worst thing in life isn't being fired from your first job or losing your pension when you're 65. In other words, it's only that way if you think it is. And so it's the mindset that you want to develop in people that, you know what, I've taken a hit, but I can keep going. I, I, you know, things have gotten tough, but I'm bigger than my problems. And you know what, life is still good and there's still a lot of great stuff around me and I'm going to find all the good things and I'm going to make my life count and I'm going to have fun doing it. You know, so it's it's not about being pie in the eye, you know, optimistic kind of thing. Uh, but by the way, and I point this out a lot. Tony Robbins said, you know, and and he does it to make a point, but he says, you know, positive thinking doesn't work. It's there are no weeds, there are no weeds, there are no weeds. There are, that's not positive thinking. That's so positive. Positive thinking is saying I can handle the weeds. I can weed this garden. I can make it a beautiful garden. Not that there aren't weeds, but I can deal with the weeds. I know how to handle it. The weeds are no big deal. 
you know, in negative. I, I, I'll give you an example. We, we talked about this earlier with the, uh, and I was telling you in, in the first half of, of my coaching, uh, little coaching career of about 11 years, uh, I, I, I played more of the uh, us against the world kind of theme. And then I, I didn't like that for many reasons. It causes a lot of problems. I switched it. And one of the things that I embraced was adversity. Yeah. Which is, uh, I, and, and literally shifted my thinking like, you know what? I'm going to kick every adversity's ass. And and the belief system that came out of that was I don't care if I have my most amazing team. I had you know because towards the end I had a, one team that was I mean it was an all star team. It was ridiculous how talented these kids were. Um, but it didn't matter if I was going in with them or if I was going in with kids of 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 average abilities. I knew that I had the resources and ability to kick its ass and that's what I was going to do and my kids were trained by me and my staff and they were going to do the same and it's just a flip of of thinking like you you've said earlier and it's what we talked about it's just shifting your 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 mindset yeah I, I again I go mindset is everything mindset influences our feelings our feelings influence whether we act or not better actions determine our results so you're either thinking right, feeling right, acting right, and getting the results you want, or you're not. But it starts with your thinking. And if you're feeling bad, it's an indication that you're not thinking right. So if you want to change how you're feeling, get up, move around, go work in the garden, dance, shake it up, go hang out with friends, laugh, smile, move your, sh- shift your physiology. Or change your thoughts. Start doing affirmations and visualization and start chanting declarations. I can do it. I can, you know, I obviously have what I call directed questions. We won't go into that now, but, you know, it goes back to why am I so stupid or how come I'm so brilliant or how come I'm so lucky? If you ask yourself a better class of questions or put your mind in, in, a, in a more positive direction and aim it that way, you get more positive results. Positive thinking won't make you seven feet tall, and it's not going to necessarily get you everything you want in life, but it's a whole lot better than negative thinking because negative thinking is not going to get you anywhere. So... You know, what you said about you embrace adversity. You and I were talking earlier, and I mentioned physical pain. That Mm. is, physical pain, you know, you hurt your ankle. You know that that the the nerves are sending you a signal, and a doctor or caregiver will say, you know, stay off your foot, nurse it, take care. You can take it as a message from the universe or God or from yourself or whomever that, oh, maybe I need to slow down. I don't know why this happened. You can assign any meaning to it or whatever. But you know that that pain signal was there to get your attention because if it weren't, you'd continue to hurt it. For example, if we don't have pain sensors, we'd stick our hand on a hot burner. We'd burn up all our skin and our bones without even knowing it if we didn't have the nerve ending. So it's a signal that when it comes to most people, emotional pain, mental pain, spiritual pain, they wallow in it. They live in regrets from Years past, they worry about things to come that never happened. You know, most of the things that people worry about never, ever come to pass. They only think it does, but it never does. Once in a while, but most often it doesn't. And the same thing about living with regret. If you can't change it, if a person's dead and gone, forgive yourself. 
forgive the other person because forgiveness is a great thing. It's not letting them off the hook. It's letting you off the hook. You know, yeah. the Buddha thing about, you know, anger, holding anger against somebody else is like drinking poison and expecting it to hurt them. You do things to make yourself better. And in being better, you can help other people be better. So, you know, people who live with depression and anxiety and anger and frustration and mental and physical or mental and spiritual and emotional pain, they can change it. And there is hope. And they don't have to be a survivor forever and talk about how they've managed to survive this horrible thing that happened to them. You know, I mean, at some point you've got to, if you survived the Titanic and that's the only thing you talked about for all the years after that, it gets pretty boring. Yeah. You know, yeah. why is that the pinnacle of your life surviving a tragedy? You know, so stop carrying this crap around. I just did a hike up a, a mountain five miles and, we carry bricks and boards and things to make it extra challenging, you know, and then, and then when it's all done and over, you go, why the heck would you carry a brick? You know, why would you take that up the mountain? Why would you do this yeah. stupid thing? But that's what people are doing. They're carrying around bricks and crap every day of their life instead of dropping it and letting it go and enjoying the journey. So for coaching, that's deep. I think, <laughs> well, I think the thing is you instill the best principles and the best practices in the kids that you can so that hopefully through the influence that you have and through them learning to play the game, they play the best they can. They learn life skills and life lessons that carry them forward to be the best adults that they can be. You know, uh, that's the on, game. Yeah, huh? yeah. Amen on that. You know, it's... Uh... Uh, we, we, in my view on, on, on coaching is that we have an opportunity to make a difference in the world more Absolutely. so than, more so than maybe even teachers. And I hate to take away anything from teachers. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're doing God's work, uh, most of them. And, uh, but you really, a young man in today's society, there's not a lot of places or a boy gets to be a boy more. Right. And uh, w- without getting too deep into all that, but there's, there's, there's the, you know, there's the, the warrior archetype, archetype, the, the whole, the whole thing where we get to embrace in a football and the violence, so-called violence of football or perceived violence of football, we get to, to taste that warrior within us, that testosterone, and and then walk off and be a gentleman, uh, supposedly. Oh, right, yeah. Right. I mean, there, there's something endearing about that to be able to 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 be a complete person. I think there there's things that like that that are important within a male, and it doesn't have to be football. There's, there's people that get into martial arts and whatever. I mean, they do their or or. At our age, just like you were saying, with the, you, you go up a mountain with uh, too much weight, and uh, uh, I go out, as I was telling you today, and run stairs. I mean, it, it's not just for health. It's, I, get to, I get to, you know, kind of exert myself and, 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 and be, my, be, be a male. But there's, there's a lot that kids, you know, especially one family, one, one parent families, they're not. Uh, they're not able to be rough and tumble. Uh, I mean, tell me if if you were the same. But when I grew up, and it wasn't like I was out in the woods. I grew up in Hawthorne Inglewood area. 
but I'll tell you what, I, I did a lot of adventure. I mean, I, I got into stuff that today would, you know, might get you killed, (laughs) you know, know, you know, climbing on people's roofs and, you know, Yeah, you know, I'm not going to make this as a lobby for anything. I mean, we didn't have helmets. We didn't have knee pads. We didn't have any of that stuff. We came in when the streetlights went on, and we played with sticks and rocks a lot of the time and threw them at each other. Right, right, right. Right. I think think you're right. I mean, there's a a yin and yang to all of it, and men need both. They need the feminine side and the masculine side, as do women. You know, and if it comes out in the games, you know, then that's that outlet. That's not just an outlet, but it's a necessary part of feeding that side. You know, we, we anything that is uh, inhibited and left unexpressed or what's resisted, you know, pushes back. Right. So, rather than having unresolved anger issues because we didn't get out and play enough. You know, they say if you can't sleep at night, one of the things you should do is play harder during the day. That you didn't expend enough physical energy to tire yourself out so that you could have a good night's sleep. I, I completely agree instead, with that. They take, well, and most people will take an Ambien or shoot down a cocktail or smoke a joint instead of just right. exerting a little bit of effort in the daytime. Yeah. That's 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 my philosophy. I'm I'm like, well, if I'm I'm if I'm just twirling my thumbs and I'm laying in bed, I didn't go hard enough during the day. I got to go. I didn't. I don't deserve to sleep. You know, that's my body. <laughs> You know, go. You got stuff to do. Stuff. All right, and I'll go do stuff and read a book or whatever. And so I, I agree with you on that. Um, well, Rex, I God, this is amazing. Um, yeah, how do now people? You'll have, to, you'll have to cut this up into segments, I guess, huh? I, I know. Right? <laughs> we'll drip this out over a month. No. Um, there you go. But seriously, I mean, this is this kind of stuff oozes out of you. I mean, it's, it's, it's who you are. It's obvious. And you write about this every day on your blog. You, uh, you share, uh, also through Facebook, uh, off and on. How do we, how do we get more of Rex? (laughs) Well, you can, I mean, the URL will change, but you can go to daily inspiration and gratitude.com. It's spelled exactly as it sounds, dailyinspirationandgratitude.com. All one word. Uh-huh. You could search Rex Sykes, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S. It's an I, not a Y, R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S, and you'll find me. Um, I'm that on Facebook, and uh, I have a number of pages. I have a – but what I'm in the process of doing is updating websites and changing domains and all sorts of stuff, so – so uh, if they go to daily, and if they go to daily inspiration and gratitude, hit subscribe. You know, hit like, read, you know, share, whatever. Uh, but go and subscribe, and then you'll be able to uh, follow me when the changes take place, or you move over with me when you take the changes when the changes take place. If you like hanging with me, and, well, tell, uh, tell them what your your new your new uh, uh, name is for the blog. Oh. <laughs> A, a different blog is a Mystic Couch Potato. That one. <laughs> yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, Mystic Couch oh, Potato. Is, I, I oh, is, is that potato. not the new one? I thought that was, you were just. No, alluding. no, the new one's actually the new one. The new one is partially up. It's out there. I'll give it to you anyway. It's called Gratitude Activator. GratitudeActivator.com. dot com. But it's not completely up to date. 
Uh, oh. Some of the blogs have moved over. I don't know if we'll ever get the comments and the likes moved over, uh, but not all the pages are up, so it's kind of under construction. But it's Gratitude gotcha. Activator. It's based on it's a little play on words. Actually, Jonathan Altfeld came up with it. Uh, back in the 90s, I created a, a, a best-selling audio program called the Attitude Activator because it's about when you want to uh, supercharge yourself and feel powerful or whether you want to relax and feel calm or whether you want to feel serene or loving, attitude is everything. So the Attitude Activator was a uh, essentially a self-hypnosis tape that you listen to with headphones that helps you attitude the appropriate ad- attitude up to activate the appropriate attitude for whatever it is you want to accomplish. I uh, and I I'm recommend that I I had it on cassette and I have it on uh, the the new CD. Well, I, I want to say something. I'm not a very savvy entrepreneur in that regard because most people put out a no smoking tape and a weight loss tape and a confidence tape and a sleep easy tape and a this tape and a that tape. And I said I don't want to do that. I want to put out one thing that works for everything. So I, I spent literally a year writing this template so that people could use it for whatever they wanted. And in fact, that's the feedback that we've gotten. And in the 20, 30 years or whatever it's been, 27 years that it's been out there, they use it for everything. They use it to wake up in the morning and go to sleep at night. They use it to lose weight. They use it to gain weight. They use it to stop smoking. They use it to start being common. So I'm very pleased with that. Uh, not the best business decision for making lots <laughs> of money. When I could have sold 100 tapes, you know, now I have one tape I could sell 100 of instead of 100 of 100 tapes. But, but uh, so Jonathan said, how about the gratitude activator for your new book? And I went, oh, I love that. That's very cool, very smart, and very clever on his part. Yeah. So let, so let me add this last thing. I am the eye of the hurricane, man. When the storm is going around, I remain calm and centered, you know, and you bring your best challenge, you know, whatever it is the world's going to throw I am the eye of the hurricane. I can also be the hurricane, but I am the eye of the hurricane. And that's what people need to learn to adapt. Be calm, be centered, be present, be balanced, have fun, enjoy, live, love unconditionally, accept yourself unconditionally, accept others unconditionally, and and just have a blast. You're here for so long, and then we're gone. Who knows where we're going to be? You know, that's all up to everybody's personal belief. But for now, while we're here, let your candle burn brightly. Amen. Amen. Hey, Rex, this, you, you shared so much and, uh, really this is worth a few listens cause it's good. It's that good. Um, I appreciate all you've shared. Um, I, uh, I hope to speak with you soon again. Well, I, again, I thank you for the opportunity. You rock, you do amazing work and you're a great guy to know and to hang with and talk with. Uh, I've learned as much from talking to you as you have to me, I'm sure. And and I really appreciate that. So thank you kindly, and thanks for the opportunity to to uh, speak to you, and that people can listen in. Uh, it's it's a fantastic thing. We got we got to we you know it's a, it's a, well, can I say this one last thing? Please. What I love about sports is when a team loses, and you get on on television, they go, you know what? We played our best. We did our best. They outplayed us. You know, you rarely hear somebody go, oh God, those jerks, man. You know. Uh, <laughs> They're they're a terrible team, you know. You hear them edify the other team, say we were outplayed. We'll come back. We'll get better. We know now what we where we screwed up, and I just wish the rest of us would do that. Our politicians, our our so-called leaders, need to learn to do that. Instead of blaming everybody and pointing fingers at who's wrong and what's wrong and why not, 
let's just say, you know what? I didn't play my best game today, but I'm going to do better the next time. I know I got feedback and I'm responsible for getting for my own improvement. And let's just improve and let's just make it all a better place for everybody. You know what? I totally agree. And one of my huge things that I say within the football realm is we need to take personable, personable, personal responsibility uh, for everything. And sometimes, you know, maybe you take too much, but there's power in that. You know, you could beat adversity when you take responsibility. When you blame everybody else, you can't, you can't, you can't take on those adversities. You're, you're limiting your, your personal power when you do that. So I, I appreciate you, uh, you putting that out there because I think, I think too often we take the leadership or lack thereof of our politicians and the uh, the people we see on TV. And as you said before, their job is to manipulate us so that we watch more of them on TV. Um, and it's not necessarily real, even real leadership. So, um, well, but, it, 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 an amazing point is if you say, hey, guess what? Bob got a raise. And 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 he he's he's got a promotion as well. People go, oh, that's great, good, you know. And some people yeah. go, screw Bob, you know. Why? How did he get that? How come I don't get that? But you say, hey, you know what? Bob's having an affair, and everybody talks about it all day long. That's right. That's yeah. right. It's, a, it's bad news, you know. We're we're, we're some news. we're a sick uh, uh, species in that sense, right? <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> like to know. That, that crap is going on, man. And, and yep. the more crap we can spew and the more we can talk about it, the water cooler, well, there's no water cooler. Now we just do it on Facebook. But, you know, in the old right. days, it was the water, it was the water cooler. Yeah, you know, and it's sad. It, it's, it's like, okay, you know what? Let's, Bob's having an affair. Okay, that's his business. He got a promotion. Far out, Bob. You rock, man. You know, because why not promote the good? Right, and that's a responsibility that we have to take upon ourselves in order to do that. Uh, and, and if we, stopped, we talk- if we stopped buying all the, and, and I'm not calling for boycotts and all that, but if we stopped buying all the yeah. crap that they were selling us, they'd have to sell us different crap. Right. You know, right. It, you know, I mean, you know, so you go, you know what? I don't want, I, I don't care about my dandruff and my bad breath and my, my BO and all that kind of stuff. It's all attractive. You know, all I need is water and some soap and I'm good. You know, right. why don't you send me some happiness? Why don't you send me some hope? Why don't you send me some some positive times, you know, I don't need the death and the destruction and the mire and the, you know, so, uh, wow, we've ended this now like three or four times. <laughs> I know. Hey, Rex, hold on. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to push the uh, stop button, but I, I do again, I want to just point out, I really do thank you for your time. And I thank you for yours. All right. Awesome. <laughs>